Good morning. Um, if we've not met, uh, my name is Andrew and I'm the uh, curate here. Curate is kind of like a trainee vicar, so that's my job here for a couple of years. Um, please do turn to uh, Ephesians. Uh, we're on page 1000 something and something something. 1176 today. I just wanted to say a couple of things before I start. Um, last week I did a, um, a paraphrase of the passage that I handed out. And I want to apologize if you agree with me that I um, paraphrased the, verse, the first verse of that slightly clumsily. Um, what I said was, I said, um, looking at uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 17, where Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. I, tr- I paraphrase that as people who aren't Christians. Now that's a, not a good paraphrase of that verse. Because actually there were the Jews in that time who lived very kind of strict, self-controlled lives. But then there was the Gentile culture around them that lived a much more kind of free, wanton, sexually licentious lifestyle. And so that's what Paul is talking about there. So I've rephrased that as like the dominant culture around you. So I'm sorry if uh, anyone took offense at that. I read it, reread it myself and thought that wasn't a good way to write that. So those are at the back if you wanted to pick that up. And that's particularly relevant this week because what we're looking at this week is so relevant to the dominant culture that's around us. You may have seen from the service sheet that our topic today is your body is spiritual. So we're coming towards um, most of the way through our series on everything is spiritual from Ephesians. And sometimes people accuse the church of being obsessed with sex, talking about sex all the time, being obsessed with other people's sex lives. Now, if you're a regular here at St. Helens, then you'll know that's not true. Uh, I've been coming here for over two years, and I cannot remember the topic coming up in that two years' time. And part of the reason for that is the way that we preach the Bible at St. Helens is we choose books, because that's how the Bible came to us, number of different books, one author, God, and we work through those. And so as topics come up, we preach them. And one of the good things about that is that it means that it's hard for us to avoid things that we might not want to talk about. And it also means it's a guard against us just preaching our hobby horses, talking about what we want to talk about. It's saying, okay, God's given us this book of the Bible. What does he say in that? As it comes up, we'll preach it. But it does mean that some important topics, like what we're looking at today, don't come up that often. And so I want to say, even if you're a regular here, this might be surprising and shocking. So I'm sorry if that is the case. And so if it is, we want to say, please don't run away from these truths, because they are so different to what our culture says to us. Any one of us on the team, Steve, Zablon, myself, Leonora, Andrew Quapong, would love to talk to you more about these kinds of things. Um, And one last thing before uh, we have our reading. Um, If you are here today and you'd say, I'm here, I'm visiting, or I'm regular, but I personally am not a Christian, then um, in many ways, this sermon is not directed at you. Um, This is about Christian living. But I hope you might still find it interesting. Please um, feel free to listen along. Um, We're not here to tell people out there how to live their lives. But God does say that there are certain ways that if we are Christians, then there's going to be a way we want to live. Um, Without further ado, Lenny, um, we're on page 1176, Ephesians chapter 5. 
The service sheet does say we're in Ephesians 5, but I'm also going to read chapter 4, 17 to 24 before we read the passage from chapter 5 as well. So if you just turn one page uh, backwards, 1175, just going to read chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Turn over the next page, 1176, and we're going to read from Ephesians 5, verse 3 to 21. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, sometimes the Bible brings up topics that uh, you wouldn't personally stand uh, choose to stand up in front of a bunch of people on Sunday morning and talk about, but this is God's word. It's good. Let's pray for his help to understand it. Father God, this topic affects all of us in different ways. We know ourselves, and you know us. We know our pasts, and you know our pasts. And Father, you know what our lives look like now. And Father, we know that you love us. We know that you want what's best for us. And so, Father, please help us to believe that your word is good, to believe that your way is better, to believe that forgiveness is real and full through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, please work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we had that little reminder of what we looked at last week, which is that the motivation for the Christian life is not to earn God's favor. Now, the reason that Paul gives for living the Christian life is that for people who have been raised from spiritual death, for people who have been forgiven through Christ, for people who are now new people in Jesus, then it makes sense that we are called to live like Christ. Um, Those who were here last week will probably remember that initially I appeared out of the vestry dressed in uh, football socks, shorts, t-shirt, with a rather flat football. The point being, well, that's that's not an appropriate way to dress for a preacher. If I was a footballer, that is probably how I would dress most Sunday mornings. But it's not ideal for preaching. I'm a minister in the church, and so I should wear something relatively bland and non-distracting. I hope that I've succeeded uh, today. Footballers wear clothing appropriate to football, and preachers wear clothing that's hopefully not too ostentatious. Now, whether you're a footballer or a preacher, a miner or a fisherman, a banker or a nurse, who you are determines how you dress. And Paul takes that idea and makes it into an illustration of the Christian life. He says, look, once you belonged to the world, and in the Ephesians' case, they were part of the highly sexualized culture that surround them. And Paul says, naturally, when you belonged to the world, then you would live like the world. That's who you were. But now, Paul says to the Ephesians, you don't belong to the world anymore. You are in the world but not of the world, now you belong to God. And so he said, and if you're following along, flip back one page, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That is, for them, you must no longer live the way that the culture around you lives. Once upon a time you did, but you must live that way no longer. Why? We'll look down me to verse 22. That's where we get the clothing metaphor. Paul says, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. And then verse 24, And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You are new people, Paul says to the Ephesians. You have a new identity. Now, live it out. Wear clothes that are appropriate to your new identity. Put on behavior that matches who you are and take off behavior that doesn't. Which brings us to chapter 5, 
verse 3. Read with me again, Paul addressing the Ephesians. But among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Again, not to earn God's favor, but because sexual immorality, sexual impurity, and sexual greed, which is what is meant here, the greed for someone else's body, the greed for your own sexual satisfaction, all of these things are improper for God's people. Just as it's out of place for me to dress as a footballer to preach, and even more so it would be unsuitable for a Premier League footballer to dress like this uh, for a football match, so it is unsuitable, inappropriate, improper for Christians people who have been brought into God's family to live in the same way as our culture does. And so sexual immorality is improper for those who have been remade through the work of Christ at the cross. Again, last week Paul said we have been recreated to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, sexual immorality is not a term that most of us use every day. What does Paul mean? And this is Peter O'Brien, whose commentary on Ephesians is one of the most helpful. He says, In contrast to the loose living that prevailed in the Greek world, New Testament teaching required unconditional obedience to the prohibition against fornication. Now, fornication, again, a bit of an old word. Um, we don't tend to use that much um, outside academic circles. The Oxford Dictionary defines fornication as sexual intercourse between people not married to each other. And as O'Brien hinted there, that teaching would have been as shocking, if not more so, to the Ephesians than it is to us. And the Temple of Diana that stood on the hill above Ephesus was the center not just of religion but also business. And it's a place where you'd have a business meeting and then during the dinner that came afterwards, the prostitutes, the temple prostitutes would come out and service the business people. Orgies were a part of temple worship. In Ephesian culture, nothing was off limits. Male, female, multiple partners, young girls and young boys, everything was acceptable. More so than our culture. And into that culture, Paul says, into a church where many of the converts had come out of that kind of lifestyle, Paul says, among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality. And if that wasn't a high enough standard already, Paul goes on to say, or of any kind of impurity. It's almost as if Paul has kind of anticipated the question. Um, okay, Paul, maybe not full sex, but what about... And so he adds, or any kind of impurity. For Christians who aren't married, all sex, all foreplay, anything seeking to sexually arouse someone else to whom you're not married is improper for God's people not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. And therefore, obviously, pornography and masturbation are also improper for those who are part of God's people. Remember Jesus' words, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. In verse 4, Paul moves on from our behavior to our speech because a culture of crude joking, uh, of joking about sex, of locker room banter, as Donald Trump memorably called it, um, his comments about dominating women. 
talking about sex in a casual, jokey way creates an atmosphere in which sexual sins become tolerated, seem normal. Verse 4, Paul says, therefore, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then in verse 5, Paul makes painfully clear why we can't just say, look, Paul, I realize that's the ideal, but in the real world, come on. Look, I believe in Jesus. I trust in God. Isn't that enough? And Paul says this. It couldn't be any more serious. Of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul repeats the three behaviours that he's already mentioned, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, sexual greed. And he says, look, if those characterise your life, if they are an ongoing part of your life, and you aren't actively fighting against them, then you are choosing to exclude yourself from the blessings that Paul offers, that Paul speaks about, that God offers us in Ephesians. All of the blessings. And we've seen some amazing blessings right back in chapter 1. Adoption into God's family. Redemption, being purchased for God's people. Forgiveness of all of our past. Inclusion in God's new people and heaven. God's eternal kingdom. Paul says, of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. If we are unrepentantly going on in these things, then we are choosing to exclude ourselves from heaven. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, Jesus summarizes the Gospel in a few words. He says, repent and believe in the Gospel. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Two commands, repent and believe. That's his summary of what it means to be a Christian. And so for us to say, I hear, Paul, that you're saying this is sin, but I'm going to ignore it and carry on doing it anyway, is to say that one of the two things Jesus said was fundamental to being a Christian doesn't matter. Repentance. Repent and believe. Now this is not unique to sexual sin, of course. If there was a murderer or a thief or even someone who is a habitual liar who said, look, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to carry on murdering, stealing, or even lying, would would be to say the same thing. I don't think repentance matters. I don't think how I live matters as a Christian. And as we can see today, the Bible is as clear about sexual immorality as it is about murder or theft or lying. Now this is heavy stuff, and it is easy to mishear me, so please hear this carefully. Paul is not saying that someone who is trying their best to live a holy life for God but whose foot sometimes slips is immediately excluded from the kingdom. Nor is Paul saying that anyone who has a sexual history is excluded from the kingdom. Jesus reached out to prostitutes and adulterers, male and female. Rather, what Paul is saying is that someone who presses in on their disobedience, someone who is casual about the need for repentance, Someone who says, whether with words or actions, I'll take Jesus as saviour, but I don't think this command really matters, and I'm going to carry on living the same way, is choosing to say, I'm not going to take up my inheritance in the kingdom of God. 
This is O'Brien again. He says, one who surrenders to sexual immorality, gives up the fight, indicates ultimately that he or she has broken from God. Now, as I say, these commands might seem crazy to us, but they would have seemed insane to the people of Ephesus back then, and Paul still said it to them. And they seem crazy unless, unless we realize that we have been made new people in Christ. If we've been brought into Christ, if we have, as Paul says here in verse 8, moved from darkness to light, then they make sense. Well, lest this be slightly theoretical, we've got a short video now, um, which is a testimony um, from, uh, uh, well, he's now a pastor in South London, a guy called Rob. Um, and if you want to watch this again in the future, you can find it on the Christianity Explored website. So hopefully that will come up. Time my dad was around, and I was heavily influ- influenced by music because he had a big, whacking, great sound system. And I um, used to play reggae music predominantly, and I used to love it. After uh, a few years, when I was about eight years old, <coughs> my dad left, and my mum, doing her best trying to raise us, sent us to church. Stopped going to church after about a year and um, got into BMXing and body popping, break dancing, got into girls, and then basically I stopped going to church and kind of stopped thinking about God. When I was about 20, I met this girl, and previously to meeting her, she'd been involved in drugs and kind of drinking and like living really promiscuously, and someone had spoken to her about Jesus, she was like, nah man, not really interested in Jesus and God, you know, Jesus is not going to be interested in me because I'm a, you know what I'm saying, the kind of the things that I do. Then after about two or three years, a friend of hers became a Christian and this friend invited her to church and so she was like, sure, I've tried different things and nothing's worked. And she tried it and she went to church, she came back with a Bible, we were living together at the time, she began to really change stopped drinking, stopped smoking and um, one day she just said to me you know what Robert, no more sex I was like I thought you know what, she must be in some kind of a cult she says to me look, why don't you come to church and I thought yeah I'm going to come to church and I went along and I took a friend of mine along with me kind of like for moral support when I got there it was not what I expected kind of halfway through the message I was really stunned because what the preacher was saying really made sense and for the first time in my life I really begun to really understand the good news about Jesus now initially it wasn't good news it was bad news because he made me aware that I was a sinner now I knew that because of some of the things that I'd done in the past but I didn't realize that there was a penalty for sin and that the penalty was eternal separation from God in hell I didn't know what to do and and then the, the preacher went on to talk about the fact that that's bad news but he says there's good news and he went on to say that even though God was going to punish sinners because of their sinful lifestyles God at the same time wanted to forgive and he quoted a verse from Romans chapter 5 verse 8 which says that God has demonstrated his love for us even though while we were still sinners Christ died for us but the condition was that I would 
change the way that I think about my sinful behavior and accept him as my savior. And I thought, but wait a minute, this is a, this is a deal that's too good to be true. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, definitely. But at this point, I was just thinking about it. While I was thinking about it, my girlfriend and my friend both responded. And I was like, whoa, they've responded. I thought, I need to respond because I'm not trying to go to hell on my own. And um, I prayed a really simple prayer. I was like, oh God, if you please forgive me. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I'd gladly accept your forgiveness based on Jesus dying for me. And um, within a month, I got baptized. Since becoming a Christian, my life has changed dramatically. I mean... My sinful behavior prior to becoming a Christian, um, that's changed. You know what I mean? I still fall short and I still make mistakes. But because of God's goodness and the fact that he's forgiven me, I don't desire to live the way that I lived anymore. And it's just been a phenomenal adventure. It's a great testimony, isn't it? And I think it's so helpful for us in a number of ways. Uh, one, for one thing, it illustrates uh, how both Rob and his partner and his girlfriend, they had a past in promiscuous living, drugs and sex. But Jesus welcomed them in. Again, we're not talking this morning about our past. We're not even talking about our present. We're talking about our future. How will we decide to live for Jesus in the future? but also that they changed, they embraced repentance. Rob put it so well, he said, the condition was that I would change the way that I think about my sinful behavior and accept him as my savior. Not the condition was that I became a good person, but the condition was that I would change the way I think about my sinful behavior, i.e. repentance. That I would turn from facing one way and that I would turn and face a new way, turn from going the world's way to turn to walk God's way. The condition was for him to repent. And as he says at the end, look, he said, I still fall short and I still make mistakes, but because of God's goodness and the fact that he's forgiven me, I don't desire to live that way anymore. And what Rob's girlfriend did as well earlier on in this story is a great illustration for us of verses 8 to 14. I won't read them all again, but take a look at verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. Paul says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, the behaviors that belong to the darkness, not the light, but rather expose them. When Rob's girlfriend came home and said, No more sex, that's when Rob realized that something had really changed. That's when he woke up and took notice of what she was saying. And that's what Paul means about how when we begin to live like the light that Christ has made us, as it says in verse 8, You once were darkness now you are light in the Lord, then those around us will begin to listen. Well, as we close, we need to bring this down to the absolute practicals. What might this mean for us? Uh, we'll read in the verses 10 and 17. Paul writes in verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. And then he says something similar in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, obviously, Paul doesn't mean now it's over to you to decide whether or not you obey the things I've just said because he's just made it really clear what God's will is in this area. What he means is 
we, each of us, need to understand how these truths apply to us in our many and different situations in the church. So what does it mean for each of us? Well, I put a number of books at the back. Um, well, one's not because it's here. Um, this is a great little book aimed at teens but wonderfully simple and he just puts it so well. He summarizes uh, Paul's commands this way. If you are married, avoid sex with someone you're not married to. And if you are not married, avoid sex with everyone until you are married. Sounds simple. Isn't easy. It's going to mean a number of different things for each of us. For all of us, not even a hint of sexual immorality means that, of course, pornography needs to be no part of our life. We need to flee lust. For any of pornography, and in a group this size, there will be many who will struggle with pornography. There is a great book at the back to help. It's called um, Captured by a Better Vision by a guy called Tim Chester. There's a copy at the back. The books today, they're actually my books. Um, they're not for sale. Uh, so please don't take them away. Um, but make a note of the titles. The titles are also in the handout that's in the notice sheet. Um, if you really want them, if you know that if you go away and don't buy it, don't take it now, then come and have a word and I'll let you have it. But uh, yeah, please leave them there so other people can see them for the moment. So yeah, Captured by a Better Vision, a fantastic book on the subject of pornography. If you're single and not dating anybody, kind of completely single, well, obviously still fleeing pornography, fleeing lust and avoiding all situations where we might fall into sexual temptation. For people who are single and maybe dating, uh, going out with someone, then again, not even a hint of sexual immorality, Paul says, which is a high standard. As we said earlier, Paul says that for Christians who aren't married, all sex, all foreplay, anything seeking to sexually arouse someone else is improper for God's holy people outside of marriage. If you're in a habit of sleeping together, it may be that you need to break up with this person. If you're married, of course, it will be fleeing sexual temptation in all its forms. And also fleeing from allowing yourself to develop friendships or relationships that might eventually lead down the road towards adultery. And again, in the resource sheet, there's some really helpful articles online which are there on the left-hand side of that sheet. For people in a long-term relationship living together, then it just gets so much more difficult, doesn't it? It may be right to say to your partner what Rob said to his partner. And if you know you won't be able to manage that, then it may be right for one of you to move out. Or maybe it's right to get married. And if money is a problem, we here at St. Helens will do everything we can to help. We will, you know, you can have the church for free, you can have the hall for free, we will do the best bring and share dinner that has ever been done and we'll waive all the fees and we'll get donations to cover the compulsory Church of England fee that we have to charge legally. This is heavy stuff, but we saw how important Paul says it is. Our inheritance in the kingdom of Christ is on the line, is at stake. It couldn't be more important. Even more so, like, even more complicated if you're in a long-term relationship, living together with children, it's even harder. Again, it might be right to say to your partner what Rob's partner said to him. And again, if you know you won't be able to manage that, then, you know, does one of you need to move out in that situation? It becomes much more difficult with the children involved. All of the same stuff applies, obviously, with helping out as much as we could with a wedding. But some of these things that are much more complicated, if I've described your situation and you think, I've just got no idea where to even start, then again, please talk to us. Um, 
as it is often said, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I'm not going to lay bare my past for you here today, but just because I'm a minister in the Church of England doesn't mean that I haven't done things in the past in this arena of life that fall into these categories. I wish that I hadn't, but I have. And so I'm not speaking to you as someone who has lived a perfect life. I'm not judging anybody. I'm saying as a forgiven sinner who is so grateful for what God offers to each one of us through the Lord Jesus, this is what he says is how we must live now, having been brought into his kingdom. And for all of us, we want to be talking to one another about this. There's a real risk that we can go away from here and listen to other words. So Paul says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, the things we've been talking about, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. I had a great quote the other day. Advice is what we seek when we know what we should do, but we don't want to do it. And I think that's so often true in the Christian life. We know what we should do, and then we look around until we find someone who will say what we want to hear so we can get out of doing the thing that we know we should do. It's not easy, but as we live God's way, we always find out that it is better. We're a church. We are brothers and sisters. We are family. We are here to walk together through this and to help one another live as children of the light. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you are a good father. You love us. You tell us to speak the truth to one another in love. And that is what you do for us. These words are truth. And you tell them to us because you love us. You call us from the empty, futile living that the world would persuade us is good. And you tell us a better way to live. A way to walk in the light. A way to walk in wisdom and joy and peace and forgiveness. Father, these things are very personal. These things are very difficult. Please would you help us. Give us strength. Help us this morning to hear you and to listen and to obey. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.